Well, thank you for being here today. I'm very excited to get to share a message today from John 15. So let's just start by reading John 15, verses 1 through 17 in its entirety and and ask God to speak to us through his word. I am the true vine, and Jesus is the one speaking here. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remained in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. For greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business, Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Dear God, we just thank you for these powerful words. We thank you for Jesus and the, the words that he spoke to his disciples 2,000 years ago. And Lord, we thank you for the implications that those words have in our lives today. And God, as we approach you and we approach your scripture, I just pray that your spirit would enable us to see the message you have for us and to hear that. Lord, I pray for, for soft hearts that we might be able to f- better understand who you are and how to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been going through the book of John, and we've been talking about the I am statements, the seven I am statements of Jesus. And today, I get the privilege of talking about Jesus' statement in which he says, I am the vine. And as you can imagine, I really like this one. <laughs> Our church is named um, after this I am statement. It's after the vine, and the vine is Jesus. Um, and, and if you've lived here for any amount of time, you know that we're in the Columbia Valley and we have a lot of vines around here. We have a lot of vineyards around here and it's been beautiful just driving around town 
um, recently to see this changing season. And, and the vineyards are gorgeous in each season. They just look very different. So in winter, especially with the winter we've had, you have these bare rows of vineyards and then the snow in between the rows. And then spring, which is upon us, Soon, we'll see, hopefully, I'm kind of excited about spring, um, you'll see the green leaves start to multiply on these bare rows of vines. And then in the summer, as you drive by or walk past, we'll start to see the grapes, tiny little grapes that get bigger and bigger until it's harvest time in the fall. And, and the grapes are harvested, the late summer, early fall, the grapes are harvested before the plants go dormant again. And, and I love Jesus' metaphor here because he uses this metaphor, I am the vine, to describe what it looks like to be in relationship with Jesus. So Jesus is the vine, God is the gardener, and we are the branches. As Micah mentioned earlier, we um, really believe in this in this progression of belong, believe, become. It's part of kind of our discipleship program, the way the way we think about discipleship, that we all belong to a community that looks looks to follow Jesus, that we can belong here, and then as we seek Jesus, that we begin this journey of belief. And as we come to believe in Jesus, we're asking the question, as we're asking the question, what does it look like to believe in Jesus? Jesus transforms us and we, we start to become the people we were created to be. So in 2019, our church committed to focusing on belief. And so this is our year of belief in which we ask the question, how do we pursue belief in Jesus? What does that journey look like in our lives? What does that mean for us? And I think this passage is going to speak to that in beautiful ways. So far in the Gospel of John, um, we've, we've seen Jesus's, Jesus begin his ministry, and we've seen him walk with his disciples for three years. Um, and they've traveled around, Jesus has been teaching, he's been performing miracles, he's been healing people. And here in John 15, we're at the end of Jesus's ministry. They have come to Jerusalem for the Passover. A lot of people call this the Passion Week, it's the week of his death. And, and Jesus is anticipating what's happening. He's anticipating his, his arrest and trial and crucifixion. And so these are the special moments that he shares with his disciples before then. He's eating his final meals with his disciples. And, and I imagine him thinking, okay, what do I need to impart? What do I need to say? This, this is like the last few conversations I'm going to have with him before my death and resurrection. In John 14 through 17, is called Jesus' final discourse with his disciples. And he's already told him about his betrayal, that one of them would betray him. And he's already told him that he's going to die. And he's promised them the Holy Spirit. And then in John 15, there's this beautiful image of the vine. And I don't really know where Jesus was when he said these words, but being a teacher, um, I imagine it as an object lesson. I imagine him either looking out the window, overlooking the vineyards, and the disciples are just gazing at the vineyard, and he says, I am the vine. Or maybe they were walking through the vineyard and and feeling with their hands the, the leaves and the grapes. 
And Jesus says in verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. And one of the things I love about this metaphor is that um, it refers to the plant um, plants. And, And each plant was created with a growth cycle. Like every year with the seasons, um, they go through this cycle. And uh, every year, most plants will produce something. So the, the orange tree produces orange, the apple tree produces apples, and the grapevines produce grapes. And I love that because that's kind of the purpose of plants, right? That's the purpose of, of the plant to produce this fruit. And if Jesus is the vine and we are the branches then it would follow that our purpose is to produce fruit that is consistent with Jesus, that is consistent with the vine. And as we pursue this belief in Jesus, he transforms us to become who we were created to be. And so before we dive in too deep into this passage, I want to take a look at Genesis 1, the account of our creation. Genesis 1 Verse 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God created mankind in his own image. We were created to reflect the image of God. Much like fruit bears resemblance to the vine, it reflects where it comes from, we were created to reflect the image of God. And God is this loving, infinitely good power, and we were created to reflect that. And yet because of sin... There is a very large disconnect between what people were created to be and the reality of our lives sometimes, as evidenced in the world by the brokenness and the pain that we experience and that we see around us. And so in order for us to truly reflect this image of God, we need to be transformed back into what we were created to be. This transformation is sometimes called spiritual formation. And I'm reading a book right now that I absolutely um, love. I'm really enjoying it. It's a book by Robert Mulholland, and it's called The Invitation to a Journey, A Roadmap for Spiritual Formation. And and in the first few chapters of this book, he he gives a definition of what spiritual formation is. And I want to share that with you today. It says, spiritual formation is a process of being formed in the image of God for the sake of others. Spiritual formation is a process of being formed into the image of God, image of Christ for the sake of others. And so there's four parts to his definition. One, that it's a process. So it takes time. It's a journey. There's this cyclical growth pattern, just like that of a grapevine, that we're being formed. We're being formed. We're not forming ourselves, but God is doing a work in us because God is the gardener, and so he is forming us. And into the image 
of Christ, and Christ is the vine. The branches should reflect the vine, and it's for the sake of others. And here's this beautiful part that kind of surprised me when I read the book, but it's for the sake of other, others. Our purpose is to produce fruit to affect that affects others. And so with that definition of spiritual formation as a process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others, I want to dive in a little bit deeper into the passage of John 15. Let's go back to verses 1 and 2. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So yesterday I met, I met some friends. I met Andy and Jessica over, or this last week I should say, over in Richland. And I was on a, in a different part of town and so I, I drove on the highway. And as I was driving the highway, I passed these giant um, vineyards to my right. And I noticed as I looked at the first part of the field of the vineyard that it just had all these little shoots going everywhere. And they're bare. And I'm like, wow, they're kind of long, you know, they're, they're kind of crazy. And I was thinking about this passage. And then about halfway past the vineyard, there was a stark difference because evidently it's pruning season right now. And there were people out there pruning the vineyards, and, and all the crazy little shoots, most of them were cut off or were very, very short. Here's some interesting facts about pruning, as in my research, that I was, I was very um, interested in as I, as I looked into this this week. Um, pruning is done with the plants are dormant, which is interesting, because when I think of plants and beauty, you know, I don't think of winter or being, having much purpose, but in order to prune the plant well, they need to be dormant, so I thought that was interesting. Um, it's very necessary. Evidently, grapevines can grow to be monstrous and unruly, and evidently, if, if you don't prune them back, they'll produce so much fruit that the fruit doesn't taste good because it's watery, and, and like all the, the plant's energy and resources has been stretched thin. The pruning helps prevent disease. The pruning uh, of old growth stimulates the gro- uh, new growth. So when you prune it back, it grows more. Um, I thought that was interesting. And then this one really struck me. The fruit on the grapevine is produced on new growth, on one-year-old wood. I thought that was fascinating. Because when I think of pruning, I don't always think of it being pleasant. You know, at our old house, we had a lot of uh, roses. And, and Wynette had the wonderful job of teaching me how to prune roses. And I just always hurt myself. <laughs> pruning roses, I, ne- I was never good at it. But I knew it was necessary because my roses did not look good if I didn't prune them. But pruning, pruning can not, sometimes be very unpleasant. And I would imagine it's unpleasant for the plant as well. Um, but it's necessary. It's necessary for healthy growth. So when we believe in Jesus, when we start this journey of belief, we become the branches. And God is the gardener, and he begins the work of pruning. I don't know about you, but sometimes in my faith, in my walk, I ask God, why is this so hard? Like, I believe in you. I'm trying to do the right thing. Why is this so hard? to live out this faith. 
And I'm reminded today that it's because God is pruning me to be something spectacular. God is pruning me to fulfill a purpose that far exceeds my vision for myself sometimes. Sometimes, I think a lot of times, God has to expose our brokenness in order to call us out of brokenness and into wholeness in Christ Jesus. In this book that I'm reading that I told you about, Robert Mulholland says this. He says, The process of being formed in the image of Christ takes place primarily at the points of our unlikeness to Christ's image. God is involved with us in the most imprisoning bondage of our brokenness. God meets us in those places of our lives that are most alienated from God. God is there in grace, offering us the forgiveness, the cleansing, the liberation, the healing we need to begin the journey towards wholeness and fulfillment in Christ. That's what pruning is all about. The parts of us that don't reflect the image of God, God cuts off and tosses out. His words, um, imprisoning bondage of our brokenness. I read that and I was like, oh, because I can relate a little bit to that. I can really relate a lot to that. And, and if we really sit and reflect and think about the different bondage situations that we're in, such as the lies we believe about ourselves or the fears that we have that we allow to take over or maybe the false identities that we, we get our values from. Maybe it's an addiction that we're trapped in. We're doing a study. We're on our last week with some of the women here. Um, it's called Find, the Finding I Am Bible Study by Lisa Turkhurst. And, and this last week as I was studying, um, she wrote something that was just really super powerful to me. She wrote about struggling with the phrase, good enough. That, you know, at times things would happen and she felt like a middle school girl all over again because she didn't feel good enough. She felt inadequate. And then it hit her that God doesn't want her to be good enough. I mean, what a terrible phrase is that, that you're just good enough. That God created her and God has created us to be these amazing and spectacular reflections of him and that our vision for ourselves is just too low. That God wants something much more beautiful for us. And so he cuts off the parts that don't reflect him and the parts of us that are producing good, he prunes to make better. So maybe you can relate to this. I mean, I believe in Jesus, and I trust in God, and I want to be a godly, loving parent. And yet sometimes when my kids are hurting and I can't fix it, I struggle to trust God with my kids. Like, I, I, to give my children, my beautiful children, over to God and let him care for them, like, that is hard for me. Or if, if something attacks my children, I mean, I struggle to reflect the character of God as I'm responding to those other beautiful children that I don't find so beautiful at the moment, you know? Like, we can be on this journey and still need a lot of pruning. 
And God meets us in those places of brokenness. And he shows us who he is and who we are. And that, for me, is beautiful because I'm learning as I go deeper into this journey that I don't always know who I am in Christ, like who I'm meant to be. As God prunes me and refines me, I'm discovering that more and more. So God shows us who he is. God shows us who we are. He prunes us, and then he calls us into wholeness. From the places where we're at, wherever we're at, he calls us into wholeness in Jesus. Let's move on to verse 4. Jesus says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Jesus says, remain in me. And that, that verb is often translated as remain or abide in me, dwell in me. And it's got this implication of a continued stay, a permanent residence. Remain in me. And one of the beautiful and also challenging things about Jesus is that he does not force himself on us. On anyone. God does not force us to respond to Him. And so we must choose to remain in the vine. We must choose to be transformed, to be open to transformation um, by God. If you look at the, the metaphor of a vine and a branch, as soon as the branch is, is cut off from the vine, it begins to dry out. It begins to wither. It begins to die. So in order to, li- to have this full life, we must be connected to the vine. Verse 5 says, If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And I love that promise. You will bear fruit. That's I want. I want to do something with my life. I want to have an impact. I, I mean, I love that part. And then I read the next part, and I'm like, oh, a little deflated. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I don't know about you, but if someone comes up to me and says, you know, you can do nothing, or you can't do this, I got, there's something in me that rises up a little bit. I'm like, wait a, wait, wait a second, what are you talking about? I don't think you know me very well. Like, it's almost like a challenge, right? I'm probably not alone in that. We've all been put down And we don't want to be put down. We want to be empowered. And I don't think Jesus is putting us down here. So I'm thinking about Rachel right now. Um, Many of you know my my youngest daughter. Uh, A few years ago, I think two or three years ago, we took them to Bluewood for the first time. And we're like, okay, girls, we're going to learn how to ski. And we went to the ski shop, the rental shop, and, and asked them to fit them for skis. And Rachel's like, oh, mom, dad, I, re- I really just want to snowboard. Like, snowboarding is way cooler 
than skiing. And so we talked to the, the rental guys about renting a snowboard, and they, she was five at the time, I think, and they're like, we really don't recommend they learn snowboarding um, first or snowboarding that young. And so we tried to talk her out of it. Finally, we're like, you know what, let's just ski this time, and we'll see what happens. And so it had been at least a year, if not two, since that time. By the way, she learned to ski. She did great. Um, since we went back, and we went back just last month, and the weeks leading up to our trip to Bluewood, Rachel started talking about snowboarding. She's like, so, I've been practicing on my skateboard. I'm really good at my skateboard. And snowboarding and skateboarding, it's like the same thing. I think I can handle it. And uh, so we talked to a few friends, and they all recommended we stick with skiing. But Rachel really wanted to snowboard, so Mike and I were like, okay, we're going to let her snowboard and what's the worst that could happen you know she falls down well um fine we found out that you can fall down a lot of times in one day <laughs> rachel skied i uh, snowboarded all day on the bunny hill at bluewood and um she was finally learned how to get on the lift that takes you up so that's good um, she learned how to do most of the straps by herself, because if you ever snowboard, you have to like get out of the straps and back in a whole bunch of times. And she learned how to stand and go maybe 15, 15 feet, maybe a little longer. Um, she never did learn how to turn, and she never did learn how to stop, slow down. And so basically that meant she would go for 15 or so feet and then she would topple over and turn around and go the other direction for 15 feet. And we did this for hours. She was one giant bruise after, after we went. Now, she had a blast. She, she loved it and she wants to do it again. She is not interested in skiing at all. But I, I laugh about this because I see that spirit in me. Like if someone tells me, no, you're not ready for this, like I want, I want to do it. And so what does Jesus mean here when he says, you, apart from me, you can do nothing? And I feel like I really believe that Jesus is referring here to our purpose. Because we can do a lot of things. And we're good at a lot of things. But if our purpose in life is to reflect the image of God to others. I don't think we can do that by ourselves. Jesus here is referring to our, our very reason for existing, the thing that is in the depths of our souls that we long for, that makes us feel complete. We were created to reflect the image of God, and yet we fall short all the time. And so Jesus said, remain in me. And who is Jesus? Jesus is God in human flesh. He is the demonstration of what it looks like to fully live into the image of God, to live your life reflecting the image of God. As the vine, Jesus is our lifeline through which our nourishment flows. Jesus is our model. The branches are to look like the vine. And Jesus is our hope, because the vine is what empowers the branches to bear fruit. Without the vine, we can't bear fruit. 
So I look at this and I'm convicted myself that I need to remain in Jesus. And so my natural next question is, okay, how do I do this? What do I do? What does it look like? And it's super tempting for myself to lay out a little plan and to lay out a little formula because I'm a list person. I'm the kind of person that after I do something, I go to my list and I write it down so I can check it off. That's the kind of person that I am. I'm a planner, and I like to be in control, and I like to have a formula with guaranteed results. And so I look at this passage, and I'm like, okay, what do I need to do so that I remain in Jesus? And I'm afraid that it's easy for me, at least, to oversimplify remaining in Jesus into a list of do's and don'ts. And I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, remain in me. And that's about tapping into our life source. That's about opening up every part of us to God. It's about relinquishing control and saying, God, you take over my life. It's about trusting in God's infinite goodness even when we don't understand what's happening. It's about trusting that his vision and purpose for us far exceeds the vision that we have for ourselves. So yes, a life abiding in Jesus, remaining in Jesus, will have some distinctives. You know, maybe you'll have specific spiritual practices and disciplines, maybe going to church and praying and reading your Bibles. These are all really, really good things. But these practices aren't a magical formula that if you do this, if I do this, if we do this, then we'll be good enough for God. Remaining in Jesus, rather, is it begins by saying, God, I surrender to you. God, I trust you and take control of my life. Maybe we begin by asking God, What do you want me to do? Instead of us coming up with a plan, what do you want me to do, God? How do you want me to live my life? And then to listen for an answer. Because some of our answers will be general, like reading scripture and prayer. Those are are really good things. And some of our answers will be very specific to us personally and where we're at in our journey. And so to listen with an open heart and mind, and maybe you'll find some of those answers as you read scripture. Maybe you'll find those answers as you pray or as you have conversations with other Jesus followers. Or maybe as you walk down to the park and enjoy the sunshine, God will speak to you there. Or as you listen to music in your car, as you help your neighbor who needs help. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, Seek and you will find. If we seek God, We will find him. And when we surrender control to God, he produces fruit in us. Let's look at this fruit that he produces in us. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remained in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, 
to lay down one's life for one's friends. Skipping down to verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you, appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. So Jesus says, if you remain in me, two things will happen, two types of fruit. There'll be an inner fruit and an outer manifestation of that fruit. So the inner fruit, Jesus says that his joy will be in us and our joy will be complete. And this joy is a lot different than, than the happiness that is dependent on external circumstances. It's this deep assurance and confidence of Jesus. It's this deep sense of completeness, of wholeness, of security in Jesus. And it is a gift from God. And Jesus says, remain in me and my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. And then the external fruit, as his joy is in us, it produces fruit. It affects how we treat others. He says, love each other. And we'll be able to love the way Jesus loves in a sacrificial love that puts others first. You know, sometimes I think we, we imagine our faith to be an internal thing and to be this private um, thing between me and God and that it just affects me. And that's just not the case. It does affect us and it's very personal. Um, but our spiritual formation, our connection to Jesus is for the sake of others. And so what happens on the inside is reflected out. Our spiritual formation is for the sake of others, and it influences, in fact, it determines how we approach life and how we make decisions and how we treat people. We are created to reflect the image of God, and the characteristics of God are love and compassion and forgiveness God is a God of grace and healing and wholeness. And that is what we are to reflect to the world. You know, I love seeing, I love meeting people. I just, I love people. I love hearing people's stories. And I love seeing God's um, diversity and creativity in his creation of people. He has created us all unique and all different, with different personalities and different talents. And what I love about that is that as we grow in Christ, as we grow in Jesus, and he brings about wholeness in our lives, we each reflect the image of God in beautiful and unique ways. So we each have a purpose of reflecting the image of God in the way he has created us. Sometimes we think of... Um, the image of God is something foreign. That's something that I need to pick up and put on, you know, because that's not who I am. And yet God says we were created in his image. We were patterned after his image. And so really it's something that's in us already, deep down at our very core, reflecting the image of God and having that wholeness, that completeness is what we long for. And that is what brings the profound joy found in Jesus. So remain in me. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, remain in me. Our invitation today 
is to remain in Jesus, to yield ourselves to God, to allow him to transform us. And this is a really hard one for me to relinquish control in my life to God because I trust, I can trust that he has a beautiful vision for me and a purpose for all of us. Our invitation today is to allow God to prune us and to call us out of brokenness into wholeness. So maybe you're new to this belief journey. And if you are, and what I said was confusing, it's, it's complicated sometimes, and we'd love to talk some more. But maybe you're new to this, and you're, and you're asking the question, so what, is it, what does it look like to be on this journey of belief with Jesus? Or maybe you're here because you've been dabbling with this faith stuff, and, and it appeals to you, but you know you want a little bit here and a little bit there, and 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 you don't want it to take over. <laughs> and so you know you can come to church on Sundays, but you know maybe do one other thing, but we want to make sure it, it doesn't get out of control. You like that control, or maybe you're on this journey, and you've given your heart to Jesus, but you're a little you come here a little bit discouraged by how hard it is. Because sometimes it's really hard, and the pruning is uncomfortable. And, and though we believe in Jesus' healing power, we look around and we see brokenness and pain, and that's hard to deal with. I want to say that this journey of remaining in Jesus is about being all in, to relinquishing all control, and it's worth it. Because the fruit he produces in us, we cannot do on our own. And his vision for us is to make us spectacular. To remain in Jesus is worth it. Because only Jesus can bring about wholeness. And only Jesus can empower us to reflect the image of God, which is what we were made for. And even Miss Hadley reflects the image of God, and I love that. Love that. We all do in our unique ways. His vision for us is spectacular. Will we trust in him? Will we remain in him? That's our question today. Will you go all in with your faith? Will you remain in the vine? Will you give him the control? Dear God, we thank you so much for who you are, Lord. We thank you for being the vine. We thank you for loving us. Lord, we thank you for having a vision for us that far outweighs, far surpasses what we envision for our own lives. God, I pray today that you would help us to see and to understand who you are and who we were created to be in you. God, I pray that this week, as as we go about the the normalcy in our lives, the routines, and our jobs, that we would remember that we are to remain in you. And that is our purpose, and that is what will make our joy complete in you. And Lord, that our purpose is to reflect your image to others around us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we leave here today, may you know the vine. May we trust in his vision for our life. 
May we relinquish control and allow him to do his work of pruning. May we experience the true joy found in Jesus. And for the sake of others, may the people around us see the image of God in our conversations and in our life. Have a great week.